Let's go. First Samuel chapter 9 says this. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. You might underline that. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. And there was not anyone more handsome, not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. So he's choice, he's handsome. And from his shoulders upward, the Bible says that he was taller than any of the people. So you need to note all of these things. These are going to be important to the story here in, a, in just a moment. Verse number three. Now the donkey of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So his dad lost his donkeys. And Kish said to his son, please take one of the servants with you. Arise and go look for the donkey. So this really good looking dude, best looking dude. I mean, if, if we're, you know, if it's the bachelor Israel, he's going to win. Okay. <laughs> Because uh, he's just, he's that good looking, head and shoulders taller than anybody. His dad gives him this really uh, menial task. He says, go find the donkeys. The donkeys are lost. Go find the donkeys. So he really should probably have a better job than that. But that, that's his job for today. Let's, let's skip over to verse 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear. Now, so he's out looking for the donkeys. And he said, you know what? Maybe I'll go find the prophet Samuel. Maybe he can tell me where these donkeys are. So he asked a few people. So he finally finds Samuel. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 15. Now, the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over the people of Israel, that he may save my people from the hands of the Philistines. Notice there's a, a purpose. There's a calling and there's a purpose to the calling. I'm going to call him and anoint him. I'm going to set him aside because he's going to deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people and I've heard their cry. Verse 17, so when Samuel, this is a mouthful, so when Samuel saw Saul, try to say that three times fast, all right? When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man on whom I spoke to you, the one that shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate. He said, please tell me where the seer's house is. Samuel answered. He said, I am he. Go up before me to the high place, and we're going to eat today. Tomorrow I'll let you go, and I'm going to tell you everything that's in your heart. Sorry, I know this is long. We're building a case here. Verse 20. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, look, don't be anxious about them, he said, for they've been found. But watch what he says. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? So Israel's wanting a king. And he says, who is all of the desire of Israel? It's you, ma'am. It's you, Saul. Is it not on you and your father's house? Verse 21. And Saul answered and said, I am, listen, listen to his response, important. Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest tribe of Israel? And my family, the least of the families of the tribe of, why do you speak to me like this? almost done. Verse 10, 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and he poured it over his head and he kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his people? So then he gives him some instructions. He says, you're going to meet these groups of people. All of this is just confirmation for everything that I said. Verse 5. After that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistines garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to that city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with strength. You're going to meet the restoration worship team is what he said. And they're going to be coming down. They're going to have their guitars and they're going to have their drums and they're going to be singing and they're going to be prophesying and they're going to have their stringed instruments and the tambourine and the flute. I don't know where our flute player was tonight, but they're going to have the harp and all that. And, and they will be prophesying. 
Watch what it says in verse 6. This is the key to all of it. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you'll be turned to another man. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be turned into another man. Come on, let's pray. Will you pray this prayer with me? Say this out loud. Say, Jesus, open my ears, open my heart, open my mind to receive of your word. Change me. Challenge me. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said amen, amen, and amen. Hey, one more time. Come on, let's give Jordan. Thank you so much, dude. I I was listening to his playing. When y'all hit that part and you were like, getting on the keys at the end. It was so good, man. Thank you guys so much. Let me ask you all this. How many of you remember the day that you gave your life to Jesus? How many of you remember that day? I, I mean, for me, it's, it's burned into my mind a day that was probably 25 years ago. I guess I was 15 years old, 14 years old at a youth camp. And some of you have heard this story, and I won't bore you with all the details, but I can remember that day I can remember that day like it was yesterday. It's just one of those moments, and, and I pray that it is for you. It's one of those moments that's seared in my mind and in my heart forever. In fact, we're going to take this summer, we're going to take our, uh, our youth group, we're going to take them to the same camp where I gave my life to Jesus. We're going to Panama City Beach, Florida. Come on, somebody said amen. Uh, some of y'all are like, how do I sign up for a youth leader for that trip? I will... Uh, I will go on that trip, and you can. We're going to give more details about that later in the month. But at this beach camp, I gave my life to Jesus. And I, I could take you right back to the spot to where I just, I mean, I cried and boohooed the biggest, ugliest cry. It wasn't one of those, like, you know, pretty dignified. No, it was like the ugly cry where, you know, it was like the snot and everything. It was just, it was, a, it was bad, but it was awesome. You know, it was one of the best things, one of the best moments of my life. And so maybe for you, you can go back to that moment to where you remember that moment. Maybe you made a walk down the altar and or, or down the aisle and you met a pastor or a preacher at the altar and you gave your life to Christ. Maybe it happened at a conference and, you know, you were in a uh, an arena full of, you know, 10,000 young people. Or maybe it was at a men's conference and it was packed. And in a moment, a, a prayer a pastor led you in a prayer of salvation. You said that, and you can go back to that moment. Go back to that moment for just a minute and remember how you felt. Do you remember the joy that you felt in that moment? Do you remember the peace that you felt in that moment? Do you remember that as you walked away and you said that prayer, that on the inside of you, you said, something's different. Something's happened on the inside of me. There's been a change, and, and the days that, that came after that, that, that there was something on the inside of you, and, and you went home, and maybe you opened up this word, and there was a joy that as you turned through the pages of this book, you were like, I just want to be with God. And maybe you were, you know, back in my day, it was a compact disc, and you know, you would put your, your CD in, and you would just let the worship music begin to roll, and, and, you, would, and you would play some of you, maybe it was an eight track. I don't know. Some of you, maybe it was a cassette tape and, and you, you had that and you were like, play it again, play it again. I just, and you just had to be in God's presence because you walked away. God had done something in your life and you were so full of his joy. And, and there's this phenomenon called, it's, it's called the camp phenomenon. They say about three weeks after a camp experience or a conference experience or an altar experience, that the joy that you experience, that joy, and the, the Bible talks about it as the joy of your first salvation begins to just kind of fade and begins to drift. Maybe you remember that moment too. 
Maybe you even remember like the mess up or the thing that it was that began to began to pull you away. And the thing that I love about this story is that we get to witness King Saul's transformation. We get to watch in this passage of scripture, King Saul go from somebody that is insecure that when uh, the prophet of God comes and speaks over his life and says, hey, listen, the nation is wanting a king and you're it. The prophet literally comes to him and says, listen, maybe you've heard that all of the people are wanting a king and you meet the qualification. God has told me to anoint you. And what are his first responses? His first responses are, I think you've got the wrong person. I think you've got the wrong guy. Listen, I'm of the the smallest tribe of Israel, and out of that smallest tribe, my family is the least of all of those, those tribes. Why would I even be qualified to be called or have God's hand on my life? And so what does he do? He goes, kind of falls back on his insecurities. But if you you notice, I told you to highlight or underline these things. What does the Bible say about him in verse number two? He was choice. He was handsome. He was head and taller than everybody else. And maybe those were even like the things that made him insecurity, insecure. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's your strengths that will make you insecure? You ever notice that? Maybe it was because he was a head and taller and he felt like he stood out from everybody. He's like, man, I just want to be short like everybody else. I don't know. He could dunk the basketball and none of his friends could out on the play. I don't know what, it, you know. He, he just said, you know, I, I'm insecure about these certain things. He, maybe he was always getting attention from the ladies because he was, you know, so maybe these are the things that, that made him kind of stand out and, and feel insecure. But, but he was chosen. So the prophet Samuel comes to him. He says, you know what, you're called. You're chosen. He said, there's no way that it could be me. And so Samuel says, these are the things that I want you to do. And he gives him a list of things that he wants him to do. And he pours that oil over his head and he anoints him king of Israel. That anointing oil simply signified that you were set apart. You're set apart to be the king. You're set apart to lead. You're set apart to be different. So he pours this oil over his head and he anoints him. And he says, as you go down now, there's gonna be this group of worshipers. There's gonna be these group of people that they've been up on the mountain. They've been having church. And when they're coming down from the mountain, they're gonna be prophesying and they're gonna be singing. And when they do, I want you to join with them in prophesying. See, we're thinking prophesying as in speaking the future. No, prophesying simply means to declare the word of God. And so he said, what I want you to do is they're gonna be coming down, declaring the word of God, singing God's praises, and I want you to join in. And when you do that, I'm gonna turn you into another man. Come on, do you remember the time and the moment where you became another man, where you became another woman, where you became another person, where the power of God fell on your life the way that it fell on King Saul's life, and he became another man? I know I can go back to that moment, and I think it's important that we constantly go back to that moment because here's what happened is that Saul got busy with life. How many of you know we can get busy with life? We can get busy with life and we can go, God, your touch is on me. You've given me a new heart. You've given me a new life. I confess that you're Lord. I confess that you're Savior. But now I'm kind of drifting away because what I believe that happened is that Saul gets busy just like we all get busy. Watch this. Saul got busy conquering because what was he? He was a king. Look at this. 
We all get busy conquering. Why? Because we all have dreams. We all have aspirations. We all have goals. Just like any politician, right, Saul stepped into office and he had things that he wanted to get done. And so what did he do? He said, okay, I'm king now. What do I have to do? I've got to get to work. I've got to start conquering things. I've got this list of things that the people want me to do. And so I'm going to begin conquering And I wonder how many times that we've gotten caught up in dreams or in plans or in aspirations and we forgot to go back to the place. Come on. Because in that place where God's power and God's spirit touched us and changed us from the inside out, he gave us a new heart. He made us new. What we have to do is continually come back to that place and go, God, I need you. God, I need your presence. God, I need your touch. God, I need your anointing. But what happened is we can get busy conquering just like Saul. Is the dream bad? No, the dream's not bad. Are the plans bad? No, the plans aren't bad. Are the aspirations bad? No, the aspirations aren't bad. But we can't get so focused on the plan, the dream, and the aspiration that we forget the God of the plan, of the dream, and of the aspiration. And so many times we can drift away from that place. Come on, we can't drift away from the presence of God. We can't drift away from his power, from his anointing. But we've got to revisit the place where he gave us a new heart. It's not about the plan. It's not about the dream if we don't have the God to back the dream. Because, see, if if we don't get back to that place, we'll always fall back into the insecurity. We'll always fall back into the old way of thinking. We'll always fall back into the old lifestyle. Reaching your dream isn't wrong. I set out a dream about three years ago to to get my master's degree. I knew before we planted the church, I was like, I'm going to do this. It's a dream, but can I tell you what would have been so easy is to get focused. And, And it was a theology degree, but what I could have gotten so focused on is just getting the work done, marking a checklist that I don't get back to the place where God changed my heart. It could have been all about filling my head with knowledge and not filling my heart with life change. And we can get so focused on the dream and the aspiration and we forget, God, you're the one that gave me the dream anyway. God, I got to put my sights back on you and I've got to get back to the place where you gave me a new heart. We can all get busy conquering. Reaching our dream isn't wrong, but we can't neglect the power and the presence of God. Come on, can anybody say amen to that? Because there's power in worship. There's power in God's presence. There's power when we become new. In fact, I love the way Romans 12, 2 says this. It says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but what? Be transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind. Notice that it says the renewing. It's not a one-time experience. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great? Man, I wish that we could just come to God one time and boom, we'd be fired up for the rest of our life. We'd be pumped up. But your car doesn't operate on one tank of gas. You don't go to the gas. Wouldn't we love in this economy just to be able to go to the gas tank about once a month, maybe once a year, maybe just once in a lifetime? Wouldn't that be awesome? That's not the way it works, though. I don't know why we expect our spiritual life to be any different, that we come to God one time and we expect that spiritual charge to last us for the rest of our life. But we've got to understand that when we make time in his presence, time on our knees, time in worship, time in church, when we make that a priority, it recharges our spiritual batteries and it keeps us going. We've got to come back to the place where he made us a new person. Come on, do you believe that tonight? 
Renewing is something that we continually do. It's not a one-time event. It's not one and done. Because here's the deal. We're constantly indoctrinated with the patterns of the world. What does Paul tell us here in, in Romans? As he's writing to the Romans, he's saying, look, you live in a, in a messed up world. They, he was writing the church in Rome and saying, look, don't be indoctrinated. Don't be conformed to everything around you. You need to be transformed by my word. You need to be transformed by my presence. You need to be transformed by my spirit. You could cut on the news and you could easily conform to the patterns of the world. Students, you could go to class and you can sit in your class and listen, listen to them tell you all this mess and you could easily conform to the pattern of the world. But how do you know the truth, young person? Come on, you go back to his word. You go back to his presence. You go back to his knees. You go back to church and you go, God, I've been in a classroom. I've been in an environment. I've been in a locker room where they're trying to conform me to the world. I won't be conformed to the world, but I will renew my mind by the transforming of my mind. I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind. So we get too busy conquering and we drift from that place of renewal. So I believe that Saul did something else. I believe he began to serve. And that's exactly what he should have done. But I want you to watch this, what's serving. We can all get busy serving. And what that represents, it can represent this right here in the church. I mean, we're planting a church and there's a lot to do. There's a lot of work to be done. And I, can, I just want to thank every volunteer. Come on, can we thank every volunteer right now? Every per, can we? I know they're not in here. But can we thank all of our children's workers right now that are back there, that they're serving our kids, that they're leading our kids in a children's service. But let me tell you, we can get so busy serving that we don't get back to that place. And I never want, and this goes for anybody, as you join the church and you begin to sign up and serve, and, and you can even, you can ask some of our volunteers, because I've noticed a few names on, uh, on our roster sheet the last couple of weeks, and I said, the last couple of times I've seen them, they've been serving. I said, we need to get them in a service, because I don't want them to get burnt out. I don't want them to miss the opportunity to get back to that place. And my promise to you and our promise to you as a church is that we, we don't want to let you get so busy in the serving that you don't get back to the place where you became a new person, to where your heart can be changed, to where you can get soft in his presence because we can show up to church and we can do the work. Listen, I love this. It, it, it becomes about the work of ministry and not the God of the ministry. We can't make it about the work of the ministry and not about the God of the ministry. He has to be our number one priority. It can't just be about singing on a stage or playing an instrument. It can't just be about greeting at the door. Some of you, that's, that's the way you love to give back, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if it's pulling you away from the presence of God, if it's pulling you away from a place to where you're back in his presence and you can get back to the heart of God, then it becomes a problem. Because that, that was Saul's deal, is that he was a public servant. His job was to serve the people. And so it wasn't bad that he was serving the people, but I believe that he began to conquer, and I believe that he began to serve, and he got busy, and he never got back to that place. In fact, it's never recorded again to where Saul went back to the house of God. And we're going to contrast him to David here in just a moment. But the third thing is this, is that Saul fought. Saul went to war. He began to defend his country and try to conquer his enemy, but I want you to notice that he did it on his own. You should go back this, this week and, and you should read through 10 
and 11 and 12 and 13, you should open up 1 Samuel and just begin to read through some of this story because Saul began to conquer and fight, but he began to do it on his own. He began to take the battle in his own hands. And that's exactly what happens when we drift from the presence of God. That's exactly what happens when we drift further and further away from the place that God gave us a new heart. Is we'll begin to fight the battle on our own. That's when we become unsuccessful in winning the battle. That's when we become unsuccessful with winning the war. Maybe you feel like you came in here tonight. Maybe you're even just like spiritually exhausted and you're like, I've tried everything I know to overcome this. That's because you're trying it on your own. On our own, we will not be victorious. The only way we win this battle is to get on our knees, is to get in God's presence, is to come to God and go, I need you, God. You're the only way that I can overcome this. And he began to fight those battles on his own. I love the way 2 Chronicles 20:15 says it. It says that for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. And that's something that we have to keep on the forefront of our minds, that if you're losing a battle, guess what? You've probably tried to take that battle on your own, and you need to give it back to God. You need to get back to that place to where you go, you know what, God? I can't win the war on my own. I need you. But the further we drift from his presence the more that we'll try to take the battle on ourselves. The battle is not, I just feel like I need to tell somebody that tonight. The battle is not yours, it's God's. You gotta quit trying to fight your battles on your own. Because here's the deal, what I have found is that when we try to fight our battles on our own, it ends up in just this spiral. Because what happens is that we go, why am I not being victorious? Why am I not overcoming? Why am I not able to have the victory that the pastor or the preacher said that I was going to have? Why am I not able to do this? And what happens is we begin to spin into what I call this little insecurity cycle. Because we tried to overcome it and we couldn't do it. So when we fail, guess what happens? We become more insecure. We go, well, I I couldn't overcome it. I I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't win this battle on our own. And so what we do is it's just kind of like this, this downhill slide or this downhill spiral. Because this is what I've noticed is that we will cover our insecurity with sin, but God covers our insecurity with grace. Can I say that again? We cover our insecurity with sin, but God covers our insecurity with grace. Don't believe me? Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. What did Adam and Eve do? You want to talk about two of the most secure people that ever lived on the face of the planet, Adam and Eve. I mean, they were just running around the garden naked. That's security, right? I mean, you're, you're some secure people. Just run, you know, just don't even care, right? I mean, that's security. But what happens is that when they took the bite of that fruit, what happened? Sin enters their life, and the first thing they do is run and hide. The security that they had in God's presence, the security they had in God, all of a sudden is taken out of their life. And the Bible says that they run and they hide and they take fig leaves and sew them together. And God comes walking through and he calls for them and he says, where are you? And they say, we're hiding because we're naked. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Because insecurity had entered in through their life through sin. But I love that God covers our sin with grace. And what did he do in that moment? He sacrificed an animal and he clothed him. And that's exactly the way that this whole picture of grace began is that God slayed an animal in the garden. And that sacrifice covered 
their sin. It covered their shame. It covered their insecurity. Fast forward thousands of years into the future. What does Jesus do? Sacrifices himself once and for all so that he could cover the shame, so that he could cover the guilt in our lives. Because we, what we do is when we're feeling insecure about a mess up, we mess up, we sin, what do we do? We tell a lie about it. No, I didn't sin. We, you know, the people that we're accountable to in our life, what do we want to do? We want to try to cover it up with sin. No, I didn't do that. No. So this cycle just begins to repeat itself when we simply just need to come back into the presence of God and go, God, I need to get back to the place where you made my heart new again. God, I just need to come back to the place where you made my heart sensitive to your touch and sensitive to your Holy Spirit, where I heard you speak to me first, to where I opened up my mouth and I declared that you were Lord and that you were Savior. And in that moment, your Holy Spirit flooded over my heart and it flooded over my life. And I felt your touch in that moment. And I was turned into it. I've got to come back to that place. But it's easy to drift away from the presence of God. It's interesting to me that in architecture, the cross beam is one of the strongest engineering structures. And you'll see it especially on the West Coast where there's uh, earthquakes and high winds and places where there's, there's high winds. They use it and it's called the cross beam. And it's one of the, the strongest structures. And I just begin to think how the cross in our life is one of the strongest structures. It's our architectural, spiritual saving grace. That when I come back to the cross, come on, that's where I find my strength. When I come back to the cross, when I come back to the place where he gave his life, that's where I'm made new all over again. When I come back to the cross, that's where I find my strength. That's where I have that spiritual, structural integrity is when I will come back to the cross, the place where it all began, the place where I found grace and salvation, where my heart was made new. But how many times do we drift from the cross? We drift from repentance. We drift from grace because we get busy conquering our dreams, our goals, our aspirations. We get busy serving in the church, serving in paraministries outside of the church. We get busy fighting our own personal battles rather than bringing those battles to God and go, you know what, how I really fight my battles? I just fight my battles on my knees. I really just fat fight my battles in your presence. I really just fight my battles as I just lift my hands and I let you do it on my behalf and I let you go before me and I just let you work it out and God as I just cast my cares on you and I stop worrying about the problem and I stop worrying about the addiction or whatever it is and you just throw it on God and you go you know what God I don't have the answers I don't have the solution all I know to do is get back to the place where you made me a new person. And I just want to encourage somebody tonight that that's the place that we have to stay in. That's the place that we have to live in. It's not a, it's not a one and done. Because watch this. David, and 
Go and read it. I love this. But Saul, towards the end of his life, becomes tormented. He's tormented by this spirit. One of his advisors says, you know what you need to do? I love it. He says, you need to worship. He says, you just, you need to worship. It's like, we need to bring in a heart player. Man, you need to worship. Saul did something interesting. He said, bring somebody and let them worship for me. Go back and read it. I'm 100% confident that if Saul in that moment and a few other moments would have done things the right way and put himself back in the place where he became a new man, that he wouldn't have ended up being rejected as the king of Israel. But the little boy that comes in and begins to play worship music for him is the future king of Israel. And David comes in and he begins to worship God. And every time he would worship God, that tormenting spirit would leave Saul. But I believe that Saul could have gotten on his hands and knees and worshiped God for himself. And that tormenting spirit would have left. And he could have gotten back to the place. I want you to stand on your feet. Now, I'm going to finish this. But the Bible records the same thing about David. David got busy conquering. David got busy serving. David got busy fighting. And he drifted from the presence of God. He drifted from that place. One afternoon, he's up in his palace, and he sees Bathsheba, and he calls for them, and they conceive a child. And so watch this. Now he's insecure. People are going to know what I did. People are going to know what happened. Right? So he's insecure about it. So what does he do? He calls in Uriah off the battlefield, and he says, hey, listen, I need you to come home because I've got to cover up my mistake here. And Uriah says, I'm not going in. My men are on the battlefield. So then he tries to further cover it up. And what does he do? He gets him drunk. He's trying to cover his mistake. He's trying to cover that insecurity that he's going to get found out with sin. Finally, he sends him out to the front line and he has him murdered. As a result of all that, David's baby doesn't survive. But watch what David does. His royal court comes to him and notifies him, David, the baby didn't make it. You know what David does? David gets up, he showers, and he goes to the house of God. He said, I got to get back to that place. I got to get back to that place when, when I was a little boy and I was back just with the sheep and I would just worship God all day. I got to get back to that place. And I just believe that it's so easy for us to drift from the presence of God. It's so easy for us to get busy conquering. It's so easy for us to get busy serving. It's so easy for us to get busy fighting. But I believe that God is saying to us tonight, come on, come back to my presence. This is why this sermon series is so important because worship is not just something that we do for the first 25, 30 minutes of our service. No, worship is a a place where we can get back to the heart of God. We can get the joy back. We can get the peace back. We can re-encounter God's presence all over again.